Thank you for joining our chapel podcast today. My name is Beth Green, Provost and Chief Academic Officer of Tyndale University. I'm going to read Psalm 97. It's the psalm for morning prayer in the Anglican lectionary today. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. Clouds and darkness are round about you, O Lord. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. A fire goes before you and burns up your enemies on every side. Your lightnings light up the world. The earth sees it and is afraid. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare your righteousness and all the peoples see your glory. Confounded be all who worship carved images and delight in false gods. Bow down before the Lord, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the cities of Judah rejoice. Because of your judgments, O Lord. For you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. The Lord loves those who hate evil, preserving the lives of the saints and delivering them from the hand of the wicked. Light has sprung up for the righteous, and joyful gladness for those who are true-hearted. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks to the holy name of the Lord. This psalm tells of a God who shows up. All of creation is in on this fact. Verse 1 says that the earth rejoices. A friend of mine, who is a landscape gardener, posted a beautiful picture of wild flowers on Facebook with the comment that this is how the earth shows its love, one of the many, many ways, even when humans can be hateful towards her and toward each other. If, like me, you've been taking a walk each day during lockdown, perhaps you notice this too. As we moved into the season of spring and of Easter, the signs of green shoots yellow daffodils and pink cherry blossom helped to give me a glimpse that although I felt lost at times and I felt like God was hidden, all that God has made proclaims a different story. The earth rejoices. I live near the shore of Lake Ontario and the majesty of the Great Lakes is perhaps a bit more akin to the image the psalmist is going for here. From where I live, I can spy the distant shores of Hamilton and Stony Creek, which are admittedly not as exotic as the picture of the distant shores, the multitude of islands that the psalmist paints in our mind's eye. This image of distant coastline stands in the psalm for all the nations of the world, all the nations rejoicing. My husband and I grew up on small islands, in my case, the British Isles, in his the Caribbean island of Cuba. Two small islands whose histories intertwine with the story of colonialism, slavery, the Cold War, competing political and economic visions, racial tension, poverty and injustice. Two small islands who have also given the world some beautiful music, poets and writers. And two small islands which are beautiful in nature in very different ways. We miss the sea. In my husband's case, the Malacon, a broad esplanade, uh, a roadway and seawall that stretches for eight kilometers along the coast in Havana. You walk there in search of cool air, 
and you meet and talk with your friends about the possibilities of life and freedom across the sea. In my case, I miss the Welsh coast where I spent my childhood holidays in Crickieth or Blackrock Sands. It was my Welsh grandmother by way of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It was those Welsh hills that gave me my first taste for the way the grandeur of creation states a fact. God reigns. It is a reason to rejoice and God's reign extends everywhere. Oceans and high mountains are beautiful, but also dangerous. Just ask sailors, fishermen, or those who shepherd sheep in the Judean hills. When the wind whips up the ocean, when the clouds descend on the hills, when there is thunder and lightning, we are right to be fearful of what is hidden. The Lord's face, in verse 2 of Psalm 97, is veiled in shadow. Deborah, the prophetess and one of the judges of Israel, before they had a king, sings about encountering God this way. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Like the psalmist, She's recalling an event in Israel's history here, something that tells us about who God is and what God's reign is like. The commentator, Derek Kidner, summarises this stormy image as the advent of God's throne, bringing the joy of liberation to the world. I appreciated this summary when I read it because it reflects the tension of the image and the tension of grasping what the reign of God means it leads me to confess that I haven't yet learned to fully associate joy and liberation with purity and holiness. I'm mistrustful of things I can't see, and submission to God's rule makes me feel uncomfortably lacking in control. But in the character and rule of God, joy, liberation and holiness are inseparable. Fire, cloud, the veiling of God's face, all accompany God's rescue and leading of the people of Israel out of Egypt, the giving of the law, and the way that God tabernacled with them in the journey to the promised land. They testify to God's holiness, character, and the foundations of God's rule, which the psalmist tells us are justice and righteousness. The 19th century English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon pointed out that God's throne is the only place where absolute power can safely reside because God cannot act unrighteously. Another way of putting this is to say that God shows up and when God acts, God roots out and destroys what is unjust. Your lightnings light up the world. The earth sees it and is afraid. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. If you are trembling in the face of COVID-19, racial discrimination, economic injustice, fear for your job, fear for your family and neighbours, fear for the church, where can you expect God to be? The psalmist says that you can expect God to light up the earth. Huge, powerful impediments and structures to the rule of God will melt away in the presence of God's holiness. 
I used to interpret this very personally, with the idea that it meant I could expect my troubles to melt away, like lemon drops far over a rainbow somewhere, that God would wave a magic wand and move troubles for me and make my path straight. I was not trembling before this awesome image of the throne of God. I hadn't lifted my eyes to the furthest hills or seen the thunderclouds forming. I was just bothered about small impediments to my selfish dreams. The biblical story gives a name to this worship of self, the inability to love my neighbour and consider the interests of others beyond my own. It's called idolatry. Idolatry is at the root of injustice and it leaves a massive scar across the beauty of creation and across those who are made in the image of God as we plunder the resources of the earth, compete for kingdoms and thrones, lust for power and control and prefer the face of God to remain hidden. But the Lord is king. And as the psalmist is making clear, God's rule is not just a fact, but an action. The Exodus, Deborah's song, this psalm, these are all flashpoints in the Bible's story where God's royal majesty shines forth to show that God has always been on the throne and always will be. The ultimate demonstration of this, of course, is in the resurrection of Jesus. Let's bring back the psalm to our minds for a moment. This time I'll read it using a paraphrase, a poem, by the hymn writer Isaac Watts. Ye islands of the northern sea, rejoice, the Saviour reigns. His word, like fire, prepares his way, and mountains melt to plains. His presence sinks the proudest hills, and makes the valleys rise. The humble soul enjoys his smiles, the haughty sinner dies. The heavens his rightful power proclaim, the idle gods around, fill their own worshippers with shame, and totter to the ground. Adoring angels at his birth make the Redeemer known, thus shall he come to judge the earth, and angels guard his throne. His foes shall tremble at his sight, and hills and seas retire. His children take their unknown flight and leave the world in fire. The seeds of joy and glory sown for saints in darkness here shall rise in spring in worlds unknown and a rich harvest bear. I mentioned the tension I have always felt between the majesty and hiddenness of God. It puzzles me too that there are foes and friends of God in this psalm. There are people who suffer the wrath of God and there are those whom God protects. I only have to look into my own heart to know that tension is there too. There are days when I rejoice in God's rule. To be honest, there are also days when I resent it. The possibility of these different responses to the reign of God are very present in the second half of the psalm which seems to look beyond the present to a time when there will be no uncertainty about the reign and rule of God. The psalm rebukes our small ideas about who God is and what God is like. It says, very bluntly, that God loves those who hate evil. Which brings home some pretty hard truths. If I call myself a friend of God, do I exalt God? Do I hate evil and tremble because I am sinful and broken? Is this a God who will judge me or who will preserve my life?
the holiness of God is other. It is beyond our grasp. It is separate. But the presence of God is not thus sealed away forever, beyond reach. As Isaac Watts picked up in his paraphrase of verse 7, angels sang at the birth of Jesus to make the Redeemer and the coming of God's justice in a person known. This is a reference to the opening chapter of the book of Hebrews. And it's likely that the writer of that letter is quoting, or at least is familiar with Psalms like this one and their imagery. The first chapter of Hebrews is written beautifully. It's as if God is giving us an introduction to Jesus. Let me read you a few excerpts. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. About the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Jesus stands in the place where I tremble. He's the faithful one, friend of God, and who also calls me friend. The full humanity and divinity of Jesus weave all the threads together and hold the tension. The cross is the place where judgment and mercy met in this way. What does it look like in practice to hate wickedness and love righteousness? It looks like feeding the hungry, healing the sick, overturning the tables of the money changers in the temple, restoring the foreigner, the diseased, tax collectors, women, Roman centurions, also known as imperial oppressors, into friendship with God. Wilcox writes that the keynote of this psalm is joy. We only think that joy and judgment don't go together if we're frightened of being caught. If you are oppressed and justice is served, then you will rejoice. The setting right of injustice is at the root of God's throne and it brings liberation. We will see it in small ways when the people of God hate what is evil, cling to the light, perform what Richard Middleton has called the most redemptive actions possible. We trust to the fact of God's justice and righteousness when we proclaim Jesus's death and resurrection until he comes. And we will know it in its fullness when the lion lies down with the lamb at the end of all times. I'm going to close with a contemporary psalm by Mark Jarman published in The Atlantic. Lord of dimensions and the dimensionless, wave and particle, all and none, who lets us measure the wounded atom, who lets us doubt all measurement. When in this world we betray you, let us be faithful in another. Amen.